Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Sporting Voices podcast with me, Steve Hoare. I'm delighted to say I'm joined this week by Andy Clark of He of Boxing Commentary and Reporting fame, I'd say, Andy. Is that what you're most well known for, if nothing else? Obviously, I have been watching as a huge boxing fan, watching and listening to your stuff for a long time. Now, um, am I right in saying, though, you, you, you first broke into this business doing more football than, than you did boxing? Is that fair to say or right to say? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So my um, my first job was at TalkSport, which was 20 years ago. So it was April 2000. I managed to get in there after writing a lot of letters to various radio stations. Um, I had made the move down to London and there were a lot of places you could try and get in at that point. Capital Sport was, was massive. Uh, obviously, there's Five Live, but that was, I don't think that was really very realistic. BBC London, IRN, TalkSport had just relaunched. There were lots of places and, and I got got my foot in the door there as, as a runner. And at which point you do everything really. You, 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 I always did want to be on air and go and cover stuff, but you do what you're told to start with and you just kind of learn everything from from, from the ground up. And, and then when you do get unleashed on, on some reporting, you go and do what you're told. Um, could be anything. And obviously football's the biggest thing. So yeah, there was there, it was mostly football to begin with. And is that, how, is that literally how you did it? You just obviously left university, done what you were doing, and you just got in touch with as many places as you could to try and get your foot, like you get a foot into a door. Yeah, yeah, that, that's. I, I think it's. I think that's pretty much still what happens. Uh, I know there are more media degrees now, which um, are taken seriously. Which, if you've got one, it means something. The word really when I. When, when I started, there, there was one, if you'd done a postgrad at City um, or you'd done one at Cardiff, then those seemed to be the ones that really meant something. So you do a postgrad in print or broadcast. Um, all the rest of us, like not everybody's been to university, not everybody, I think most people have done A-levels, but you wouldn't, that didn't really matter that much. It was, it was all about enthusiasm and persistence. And there were enough places going then that, the radio was the first route in for almost everyone I know who's my age. So say from pretty much from sort of like that, I'm 42. So anyone my age or 10 years younger, I would say that would be how that would be how they got in. Uh, and if you were persistent enough at some point, you would, you know, someone would say, yeah, fine. Even if it's just to come in and help out on the weekend show when they were a bit short, but once you're in then, then you've, you know, you've got a, you, you, you've got a chance. Yeah, for sure. It's a bit like, like you say, getting getting a game for a team. You've got to impress the manager. It's kind of the same thing as that. Once you're in, you've got to you've got to go and do it. Can I ask you about before again? I'm going to a lot of this conversation is going to be about the boxing, so I'm going to leave that for a second. But you also did a lot of reporting around um, London 2012, various events. Um, how, how was that for you in terms of, like, say, it might be maybe we all know on the Olympics the sports that people tune into once every four years, and you might be the same. You might not know a lot about them. In terms of, is that a lot in terms of doing your research for it? Do you have to go really in depth? For example, if you're covering, I don't know, volleyball, or it could be whatever, it could be archery. Do you have to do a lot of research just to get your knowledge base up there at a point where you can, you mentioned before about impress and get to a respectable level? Because that must be quite difficult in a sport that you might not be particularly familiar with. Yeah, it's an interesting one, that, because you, I did get told in advance what I was doing. It, it was funny, that job, in a lot of ways, because... The Olympic Broadcasting Services were the ones who, who ran it. And in the build-up to it, once you got told that you were you were doing it, that you got the gig, they basically asked you to list your top five sports, one to five in descending order of what you would want to cover. And I put boxing at number one. And I thought, 
I must have a pretty good chance of getting that because how many people are going to put boxing at one? I thought not many. Um, and I talked to them about the fact that that was really what I was, you know, that was my number one sport at that point. That was what I was focusing on. I thought I must have a decent shot at that. Um, but in the end, none of the sports I put in my top five were the one that I got. <laughs> I, got I got volleyball. I don't know anyone who got a sport they put in their top five. So maybe they did that deliberately just to kind of take you out of your comfort zone a bit. But what, what, what I find when you kind of put on something that you don't really know much about, and I did quite a lot of that when I was at TalkSport, um, you, you don't want to go too crazy because you can just confuse yourself. You've just got to get the basics get the basics down. Volleyball is pretty straightforward because it's a team game. And in that regard, it's quite, it's easy to understand. It's easy to understand. Uh, the dynamic of it is, is familiar. If you do something like kayaking or, or something that involves judges like gymnastics or, I mean, we know how many arguments there are about boxing and it's got judges. Yes. Um, if you were doing that or, or, um, just anything else like that, basically, that doesn't have a scoreline, that would be a lot more difficult. But but volleyball was kind of, yeah, it's a team sport and the, and the aim of it's really straightforward. So you yeah. just kind of don't overreach and um, expose yourself, basically. It's, 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 it's more straightforward than people think. Yeah, I suppose that when there's a, like, a scoreline and there's a clock or whatever, you can kind of... But when you are asked to commentate on something that is subjective, for example, you, you would back yourself now to be able to score a, a boxing match pretty well but maybe it would be difficult to know if someone is doing a good routine on gymnastics or if somebody is impressing in the cat or whatever it's, you know, synchronized swimming, which I, I've got friends who have commentated on. And it's a bit like, is that, it all looks good to me because the Olympics, you know, finding those minute details, that's possibly where it can get a bit confusing. Would you, is that fair to say? Definitely. For, for sports like that, you, you do have to have specialists because otherwise you will you will make a fool of yourself. There's just yeah. no two ways about it. I think about how long it's taken me to kind of fine tune my methodology for scoring a fight to the point where um, I can be really consistent with it now. And, and I know that all I, what I need to do is if I apply my method consistently and I don't allow myself to be distracted by other things, then at the end of the fight, I've got what I've got and whatever it is, I'm, I'm at peace with it because I know how I've got there and I can explain it. So that's that. And that, that's where you need to get to. So that'll take a long time if, you, if you're, yeah, like you say, if you're, if you're doing any other sport with judges. So, you know, when you look at a sport that does have them, that, that Great Britain are good at, say like diving has been fairly high profile the last two or three Olympics. I forget his name, but the person who does the diving, that, that is what he does. Yes. Um, knows it inside out. Because if you put somebody on that who doesn't, then... One of the two people has got to really know it. You can have a lead commentator who maybe doesn't really know it and they'll just give out the information. And like I say, not overreach, but then the person next to them will do all the interpretation. Um, and that could work, but, but one of the two of you has got to really, really know it inside out or, or really you're just kind of saying names at that point. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I think that's spot on. Like I say, I think that that dynamic. We'll, we'll move on to boxing now because I think most people who are listening will. Is that that's probably what they tuned in for? To be honest, I'm myself included. Um, to speak to you about it, I, I want to talk because you do a lot of different roles within boxing. It isn't just you are not just a commentator. You report and you sometimes you give analysis. I was watching the the fight of the weekend just gone, and 
you were you were there more in an analytic role as well. You were giving your opinion on the scorecards. Is that something that you enjoy in that? You might be at one event, but you might have three or four different roles within there rather than you are not just sitting behind the commentary, which is a fantastic job. You get to go and interview and you then get to go and do maybe a bit of camera where you're doing some analysis. Is that is that differentiate something that you quite enjoy? I do enjoy it. I, I'm, I'm definitely, first and foremost, a commentator. Uh, yeah. and that would always be my number one choice of, of what I would want to do. But you get asked to do different things and you just have to, you have to embrace it. And they're all good for you. You know, I remember Ed, Ed Robinson at Sky just saying to me at the start of last year, what about the scorecards? You know, what about if we tried to use you as, a, as an unofficial judge? And I thought, yeah, I, I'd be up for that, definitely. Because you know, that's, a, that's a challenging role. Uh, and I knew that it would come with 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 a lot of um, scrutiny, um, yes. but you want to do things that are that are going to test you out. Um, and it's it's a relatively small team, the Sky Boxing team, um, compared to some of their other departments, I would say. So you do you do need to be you do need to be capable of doing um, everything really it doesn't mean that you're brilliant at everything but you need to be able to do everything like Andy Scott's the same you know he he with it kind of like the other way around if you know what I mean I'm, yes. I'm but he can but he can commentate on fights and he does every now and again uh, and he's decent um and you know and it's important that he can because you just don't know what's what's going to happen at any given point Adam Smith's kind of like the ultimate um all-rounder in the over his 25 years he has done everything uh presentation interviewing probably the only thing he hasn't done actually is the scorecards well i was i was about to say this is that it, it, it is that like a new thing because like say you, you got asked by someone on sky to do that whereas other commentators in the past haven't so adam for example he's obviously hosted the shows and he's commentated and he's interviewed but that is a new dynamic that's being brought in is that something that you and the team are quite conscious of as sky is that constantly trying to do something else as more and more maybe broadcasters start you know coming into the the, the showing fights so we've got BT show fights the zone show fights loads of them box nation is that something that the team of Sky are conscious of that you've always got to be looking for something new and to take the show forward and offer something different maybe yeah I think so to an extent I mean it was it's something that the other uh, networks have obviously done um, HBO had yeah. Harold Ledman doing it for a long time um, and I'm definitely not claiming to be him but you you do need to find the right kind of person for it because generally you will have your pundit um, do the scorecard as well, and we still we still do that because I'm obviously not not always doing that scorecard role. But it's actually, it, it, in a way, it doesn't make a lot of sense to say, but commentating and scoring a fight at the same time is hard because yes. you you can just get lost in the moment of saying what you're saying. You're going from moment to moment to moment to moment, and it's really easy to get two minutes into a round and realise that that's what you've been doing and you don't really kind of remember what's actually happened in that round. Um, so when Matt has got the scorecard and it's just him, that's, that's quite a tough gig. And that's where he needs the person next to him. If it's me or Adam to um, help him sometimes not tell him what score to put down, but sometimes he might have a round where he's, he's been concentrating on a final point of technique or whatever it is. And he gets to the end of the round and it's a close round and, you know, you have to help each other, basically. Um, but, but with that specific role, I think it's one that you need to find 
the right kind of person for it. And it's not necessarily that they're, oh, they're always right because no one's always right. But you have to be, you can't be the kind of person who's going to be bothered about what other people say. You, you've got yes. to be someone who will just make up their own mind. And that's the key for me is that I, like I said, I have my method. I apply my methods. The only time I ever get annoyed with myself is if I have an occasion where I don't manage to do that. And I know I've allowed myself to be distracted. That That's only happened like a handful of times. But but other than that, you know, if, if I, if I can do that, then at the end of it, people can say what they like about it. And it's not, you know, I, I don't mind, you know, it's generally, I, generally, I don't mind. It's, it's, uh, I can explain it. Um, but, but you need to be that, that kind of person to be able to be able to do it. It's not the kind of gig I don't think that many people would really fancy because I think it would, yeah, I think it would, you have to be a particular type of person to do it basically. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, it, it, boxing's a weird one, isn't it? In that, there are, obviously there are two ways, there are very few sports that can end in, in multiple ways where you can have the definitive Results of, for example, we can see Dillian White getting knocked out clean by Povetkin, or we can go to the judges' scorecards. For example, I was thinking on the same card that we've just watched on Fight Night, Katie Taylor goes to the judges' cards, and it's and that's another contentious one where you maybe thought she lost or someone else thought she won. In in that instance, that is where boxing for you guys probably is a particular challenge. In that, it's not like football where you know after ninety minutes whoever scored the most goals wins. You that 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 contest can end at any second. And you've got to be able to switch on and react to it straight away. That must be, it must provide a couple of different challenges, for example, than when you could come and do it on other sports. But in a way, I suppose that's a bit more gratifying in that you've got to be switched on all the time because the end of the fight could be any second. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Like when I, I commentated on Premier League football for Sky for two or three seasons and yes. before I started doing boxing. And they're so different because purely logistically obviously a, a big thing in 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 commentating on football is player recognition it's not as big a thing as people think in that i mean it's it's big and you have to get it right but getting it right is really not that hard you know it's not there are only a handful of times where it'll ping around the six yard box or whatever and you're not quite sure who's done what but in boxing you've just got one against one so that that kind of thing those kind of potential problems are completely removed um but in football the general kind of ethos if that's the right word was that the the lead commentator or you know play-by-play commentator as Americans would call it which is what I was doing obviously you weren't really there to give your opinion on why anything was happening you just furnish a little bit of information and you you do your thing and the person sitting next to you will 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 provide that you know it was a kind of uh, I'll say what you say why kind of dynamic that's what commentators would say to me when I asked them how I should kind of do it uh, boxing's not like that because you, I mean, you can do it like that if you want, but I think as a league commentator, you, you are, and you do have a responsibility to interpret things as well as the person next to you. Otherwise you're just heaping all the pressure on them to say yes. what's happening and why it's happening and what might happen in the future and their card as well. You need to, you need to try and interpret and it's, and it's not the easiest thing in the world to do sometimes. And you know, when you're doing it, that, not everybody's going to agree with what you're saying, but you just have to not really be bothered about that. Um, but, and I think I've not spoken to all, all the rest of the, the, the people I know who do 
do the commentary, see what they think about it. But I do firmly believe that you need to, you don't have to be completely hard line, but I do believe that you need to make a call because um, obviously I have to when I'm doing the card, but just when I'm commentating too, I think you, you interpret it as you see it and you explain why you're seeing it the way you're seeing it. And if it's really close, then yes, by all means qualify and say that and that it's the judges at ringside. But personally, I don't like listening to a commentary where if it's close or even close-ish, you've just got people saying constantly, oh, well, it could be this way or it could be that way or it could be a draw. Our card doesn't matter. It's in the hands of the judges. Just constantly hedging because, you know, anybody can do that. You know, you have to, I think you have to, You've got to be a bit bolder than that. But, you know, not everybody agrees on, on that score. Some some people think that you're not, you know, that it's fine just to kind of steer a middle course all the time. Yeah. Um, just not me. No, yeah, it, it, everyone's there. I suppose that's nice that Sky give you that as well because there are some maybe where you are just there. You are just you are there to describe jab, jab, hook, whatever. You, but I, I've noticed on Sky and all the commentary team, whether it's yourself or you mentioned Adam before, you are allowed to interpret things as well. You're given that bit of freedom so you can say, you know, he looks good or he doesn't look good, where maybe, like you say, I'm talking about the football, for example, the commentator will just be described what's happening and it will be up to the co-commentator to describe or to analyse it or to give an opinion. It is, it is a nice thing that you as a boxing fan, for example, can say, if, if you think someone's having a good fight or a poor fight, you're given that freedom to say that. I suppose that makes your job a little bit easier and that you can be a bit more free with your expressions as well. Yeah, yeah. And also the, the, quite a lot of the quite a lot of the things you get used to doing it too, because quite a lot of the jobs I've had, um, whether it's come covering Aiba boxing, did that for a good solid three, four year stretch, or or if you do international commentaries, world feeds as they're known. So you'll go and uh, go to a fight. I did quite a lot of the Sowland, so you'll go to a big Sowland fight and they're providing English commentary for whoever around the world wants to take it. And, and they might put their own commentators on it, but but they might not. They might just take the English commentary that Sowland arrange. And that that that'll be me or somebody else. And you do that on your own. Um, there's no co-commentator and you are completely by yourself. You, there's no one there's no studio, there's no producer talking to you. I never look at my phone to ring fight. Obviously, it's far too much of a distraction. But you've got nobody to confer with. So you're watching a fight there and you have to interpret it because if you don't, no one else, no one else is going to go into. Yeah. Uh, you have to keep a card. And I found that really useful. I did, did a lot of that for three, four years. Um, and I found that really useful because you have to make up your own mind. And sometimes you get to the end of the fight and you just think, and I'd always give a card. I, I didn't have to, I suppose. I, I, I could have got away without, without doing it. I know a lot of people who, who do those jobs who don't. Um, and that's fine. That's their, that's their, that's their shout. But, but I just saw that as a really good opportunity to, to practice and basically say, well, this is how I've got it. This is why I've got it like that. Uh, but then sometimes you get to the end and you just sit there and think, God, I really hope um, I've got this right. Because there were sometimes you just, you know, you really weren't. You really weren't sure at all. I, I don't want to be... Obviously, sometimes in boxing, we do get the controversial results and stuff like that. So, for example, on your card, you might have a fight one way by five and then it comes out and the judges have scored it the other way by two. Um, in terms of your like confidence in yourself, does that, does that ever bother you in that? You, said, you mentioned before, I've got my process, but then if the fight goes the other way, obviously, as part of a broadcast team, you're not allowed to question authority of judges and nor should you, but... Does that ever make you think, ah, 
what have I got wrong or, or you, you're just confident that you're happy with what you've done and you've obviously just seen it differently than maybe the judges have? Um, I mean, sometimes I will give it a second watch if, if I yeah. think, have I, gone off, have I gone off beam there? But generally, now I've got to the point where it wouldn't really, it wouldn't really worry me. Um, sometimes I will think, well, the judges have, have got, I, I won't think, oh, it's subjective. I'll think by my, by my rationale and my criteria, that card is a bad card. But, but I'll always stop short of saying that because I don't think it, professional courtesy, I don't think yes. it, you can say it without saying it. You don't have to. Interesting, really, an interesting card for. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to be really gung-ho about it um, because that's not, you know, there's no, there's no need. Um, but yeah, I mean, I remember one from last year, Paul Gray Taylor. Um, that was in a run of, of close fights we had, I think, the week before we had Cheeseman against Fitzgerald and Ritson against Davis and, and fights like that. We had, and on that card, we had Selby against Ricky Burns. Like, we just had a load of them in a row. And I was doing the card for all of them. And I don't give drawn rounds. Um, that's one thing I don't do. And also another thing that I won't do is that if, say, the first two rounds of a fight are really close, I won't. I won't go one each just because I want to balance it. I mean, I might go one each if that's what I really think happened. But if it's me and you and I think you've just nicked those first two, then I'll give them both to you. Yeah. Um, that's, that's how you should do it. Uh, and I had Progray at the end of the fight, I added up my score and I had Progray 116, 112. And I thought, oh God, that's pretty wide. Uh, and obviously it went the other way. There was one was a draw. One was 115, 113 Taylor. And the other was 117, 112 Taylor. So I thought, I'd better have another look at this tomorrow. So I watched it the next day and there was one round where I thought, actually, I've got that wrong. That was a Taylor round and I gave it to Progray, which narrowed mine to 115, 113. But other than that, I was fine with it. Other yeah. than that, I was fine with it. And my verdict on it was on the night was that when I looked at my card, like I said, I did think, mm, not sure about that. It, it really didn't look like a 116, 112 kind of a fight. I was thinking it was 115, 113, either way and anything in between. And that's still what I think. I've been watched it a second time. I mean, I thought the 117, 112 to Taylor was a bad card. Um, but I kept quiet about it all because obviously, you know, I would say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but most, most of the time, I always watch any commentary I do back because it's important you do. Um, but with the cards, almost always I'm happy just to just to think, no, that's what I had. I can explain it to myself and anyone else who's interested, and I'll just leave it there now. Yeah, for sure. I remember I was at the Echo Arena, I think it was last year, um, Callum Smith against Ryder, and obviously being a Liverpool fan and a Liverpool boy, I, well, I was desperate for Callum to win. I, I, in, the, in, this, in the arena, the general vibe of everyone around me was that he lost, he was going to not win that fight, and yet when we got to the end and he won quite wide on the scorecards again, and then I went home actually and watched that fight the next day on record and thought it didn't seem right, like you say. But then when you watch it on the TV, you mentioned there, well, you know, you're flipping rounds or you see things that from my seat I couldn't see. I, I was thinking then that got me thinking about obviously my job as in, in media. I was thinking that that must be really difficult. I'd never really experienced that before where I'd been so way off in my thoughts compared to what the, the results came. And I got a newfound appreciation for you're sitting there once at ringside, very few replays. You can't, you haven't got time to press pause and rewind or anything. And that's when I got a newfound appreciation. I don't know if you agree where 
to, to suggest to boxing fans, maybe that is something you could do, is that if you're wondering why it can be so, so different, you have got one view from one particular area, and maybe it explains certain judges giving cards as well, is that, it, I mean, it's so much easier, I find, to have an opinion based on what, watching on the screen with the coverage and the analysis, rather than just making your own mind up in your head. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. It's, I, I mean, I thought those cards were bad. Um, yes, they were. Bad cards. I was doing that with that one with Andy Lee, and I was commentating, so I didn't keep a card. Um, and Andy had it to Callum Smith, one fifteen, one thirteen, so seven five in rounds. And I didn't have a big problem with that. Like my problem was, I thought the cards were far too wide. Yes. I know plenty of people who are absolutely adamant that Ryder won that fight every day of the week. Yeah, me. <laughs> I didn't want that. I didn't want that, but I'm the same. Yeah. Me, me, not so much. I could see that I thought it was a close fight. I thought it was a close fight. And when I watched it a second time, I thought he probably did win it, John Ryder. But I don't see how people could lose their minds over it. Yeah. Um, but being up close, it does, obviously it does, you know, it does make a difference. It is different to watching it, to watching it on TV. Although at the weekend, I wasn't that close for White Povetkin for, for COVID-19 reasons. So I was, in the end, I just thought, well, I better just watch the screen. I can't half watch a ring that's quite a long way away and half watch the screen. That's not going to, it's just not going to work. So, so I just watched the screen. Um, I mean, scoring the fights for, for if you're, if you go to boxing and you go to the arena, you, you just, you just want to watch the fight and enjoy yourself. Yeah. Um, and that, and I would recommend that that is what everybody does. You pay for a ticket and you just go there and you enjoy yourself. Uh, if you're interested in the scoring side of it, um, you're best off getting there early um, because you can probably just blag up to ringside early because no one's really bothered, are they, at that point? They only really start checking tickets for quite a lot of shows anyway um, later on. So then maybe for like a couple of the earlier ones, you could just sit right up at ringside and just give it a quick score. And you won't have a TV replay screen, which is good because the judges don't. Um, so when I'm doing mine, for example, I'll write down my score at the end of the round immediately. I won't okay. wait for replay to watch it. I was about to ask that, yeah. I was about to ask how you go about it. Replays. You've got to try and recreate it as much as you can. I will have the, the um, commentary in my, in my ears because I can't not have it because if I don't have it, I won't know when the producer's talking to me and stuff like that. But I try and tune it out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if people are, are genuinely interested in seeing, giving it a go, then I would go early or go to a smaller show where you could get a ringside seat and you've got no real kind of outside influences other than the crowd, um, and the judges do have that. But just give it a crack and see what you get. Um, yeah. If you do get it at home, uh, but again, you know, it's, it's like, who really, when they're watching a boxing at home, who really wants to do what, you know, I would do if I was going to score a fight properly at home, which is turn off the sound tear up a piece of paper into 10 or 12 slips, depending on how long the fight is, um, write my score down at the end of the round um, immediately, put it over the other side of the room, not keep a running score because you're not supposed to keep a running score. Judges aren't supposed to keep running scores because it means that you're more likely to judge each round in isolation rather than think, oh, round one was really close and I went to or round nine's really close. Oh, but I remember round one. Yes, I'll give that to Andy Clark. That, that kind of, that's, that's why... Yeah. Um, if you're seeing at home doing that, I, you know, you're, you're you know, you 
you're there with me in the kind of insanity, obsessive state. <laughs> yeah, that's me, I, I think, yeah. That's why people don't do it. The, the, the slight frustration is when people will kind of, you know, well, you don't know, but you suspect that they haven't scored it round by round, but they're happy just to kind of like arbitrarily throw out yeah. a whatever score after the event when they've seen what the consensus is. Yeah. Uh, and that, that, that's just bullshit. Well, yeah, well, yeah. But rightly so, rightly so. Uh, I've got a couple more questions before we finish, Andy. First of all, we mentioned before about the difference between sports, and we are recording this just a few days after the Wiper-Veckham fight, and I was listening to the commentary of, uh, of your colleague, Andy, and he's halfway through saying, um, what's Pavekin going to do? He's been wobbled twice. Is he going to go? And next minute he knocks, uh, Dillian White just completely knocks him out. I suppose that, again, it doesn't, it doesn't so much give you any time to build a narrative in your head, because, for example, on football, it's the 87th minute and Man City winning 4-0. You can start to prepare what you're going to say immediately afterwards, the questions you're going to ask. That In those types of situations where it can just be flipped on a switch, that's where you're going to be so, so reactive. Is that where is that where you would say, like, no matter what's happening, in fact, you've got to be in that moment, right? Because you might start saying, you know, if he loses this, what's on the next in his career, blah, blah, blah. But all of a sudden, it can just go from nowhere and you've got to be ready to react. That must be quite difficult as a commentator to to know what, oh my God, he's knocked out, what do we do now? What are we saying? It must be quite hard. Yeah, I, I mean, but that's, that's, like, that's a really kind of important thing that you've raised there because that's, I, what I've, the conclusion I've come to down the years with boxing anyway is that I, I do loads of prep and research. I do, and I do it all for the Sky team and all the rest of it. And I love it. Like, I love getting into it, visiting gyms, talking to people on the phone. And you'll find out loads and loads of really interesting things. And when I was younger, I would just think, oh, I've got all this great stuff. I need to get it into the commentary. But that's the wrong way to look at it because you can do that stuff in the build-up um, and they can do it in the studio and you can do it in the ring walk. You know, you want to set the scene and give some context. Once the fight starts... You've just got to be 100% concentrated on what is happening in front of you at all times. You might have time to drop in a little bit of, of anecdotal stuff, but only a bit. Nothing that can last for more than 10 seconds at the outside and be ready to interrupt yourself at any point. You can never be looking down at your notes. You know, it's all got to be in your head because you've got to watch that ring every second. Um, I don't really like it, particularly when I hear people talk around the fight because not much is happening. I just think it's a bit rude because there are two people up there in the ring giving it their everything and you should at least make courtesy of, of, of commenting on what they're doing. You know, all of that stuff can come for later on. But that's the main reason why you have to be like that because, like you're saying, football, someone gets... So even, even a snap volley from the edge of the box, you've got a little bit of time to think this might happen here. Whereas Povetkin the other day, dip to the left, uppercut, over. Like that's a split second. Yeah. And then you just kind of, yeah, you just, you just hope that you come up with something good and you can't do anything more than that, really. Um, some people will have, I think it's like a really massive, say, say, say Joshua Fort Fury, right? And it's for the undisputed heavyweight titles. You would have a, well, me personally, I would have a number of kind of lines floating around in my head okay. for, what I will say if it goes to the car, what, what I will say off the back of an announcement, you know, uh, of who's won and who is the new or whatever. Um, and then I kind of decide at the time which one of those I think is best or I might have thought of something better. Um, but other than that, there's not really any room in, in boxing for, for pre-prepared. Like, I'm not a fan of it in commentary in general. Um, 
but I guess it's the kind of thing, the longer you do it, the better you kind of get at just coming up with something off, off the cuff. But even with a knockout like that, it, it's never going to happen because people would think it would, people would probably think it was a bit odd, but they would also probably think that you blanked and couldn't think of anything to say. If Adam had just said nothing, yeah. that would have been That would have been good too, though, because it was yeah. just really dramatic and really, really quiet. And it was the quiet of it, which was really, really eerie. Um, so I think if you just give it a beat a lot of the time, you know, that's, that's as good a thing to do with it as, as anything. And it gives you a bit of time to think. Yeah, sure. I absolutely think so. Like I say, I suppose that's what, that's the difference or the benefit of TV, isn't it? That you can, you can let the pictures talk for a little bit rather than for example, on the radio where you have to constantly go, uh, before we, before we finish, you mentioned before you've been working obviously a lot with Matt Macklin recently. You've, you've obviously got a podcast as well yourself alongside with Matt. What made you go down that route of, of branch out into another thing? Was it just more more to do, get get more boxing out there? What was it that you decided to do? Because I do listen to it and I've really enjoyed it. I've listened to the latest one just today, actually, before we spoke. And I'm just thinking, for someone who's as busy as you to go and commit yourself to something else, obviously it takes a lot of time and dedication. What what was your reasoning for, for doing that? It was it was Matt's idea, actually. We, okay. We've been together for quite a long time and um he'd been talking about it for a little bit towards the end of 2018 um because there's a few okay. boxing podcasts floating around and he just said you fancy it and i said yeah absolutely because it's as easy as it can be really how we how we used to do it and we'll do it again when when things get back to normal is we'll do two or three in one go around a fight weekend um and that's why the topics are generally not that kind of newsy although they have been a bit more recently because we're doing it like we're doing it now on, on, on Zoom at the minute. Um, it's just really good fun. Like I've got, I've got, I've got a mate who helps me with the, with the technical side of it, which is absolutely invaluable because I could have figured it out myself, but it would have taken longer. Um, and we don't really, you know, we don't really edit anything. We, we just kind of hit record, do it and then, and then stop. And you're doing it, the subject matter is something that you're so familiar with, you don't really need to do too much in the way of the preparation. It's just really, it's just really good, really good fun. I only really discovered podcasts a couple of years ago. I mean, and now I listen to a lot of them. I mean, not that many in sport, actually, but um, just on a whole wide range of things. And it's basically radio, which is what I used to do. Um, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's like it's on-demand, on-demand radio. And... I think people, that, that's, you just want to do it because it's fun, don't you? I don't think, we, um, we never went into it because we thought, oh, we can make any money off this or whatever. It's just, we just thought we'll just do it. You know, it's, it's a good, it's a good laugh and we just got such great, great access. It's, it's pretty straightforward, to be honest. Yeah, amazing. So um, I wish there was money in it. If there was money in it, maybe I'd be, a, I'd be in a bigger house recording this Zoom call, mate, rather than we're stuck in my son's bedroom while he's got while he's out. But yeah, there's definitely, I really, I, I agree with it in terms of sometimes you just got to do something for the fun of it. Um, and you've been very generous with your time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna end there. So uh, thanks so so much, and um, like I say, keep an eye out on the channel. So thanks for listening to the Sport and Voices podcast, and we'll be back next week with another guest. Goodbye.